Hi friends, I'm Olivia. And I'm Katie. And we are Podcast by Proxy. Welcome. We're live. Yeah. No audio issues. I'm just on edge every time now. I just was a little more upset that I had to turn off my phone. I mean, my fan. I was going to say, why would you have to turn so off your phone? I was picking up yes. my phone. I was picking up my phone to check the temperature to see if I was overreacting that I had to turn off my fan because I think I am. I have the heat on in my office. So I have a hoodie. Like, and I'm wearing a hoodie. But our house is quite shaded and like not super hot. But I feel like. And it has it, concrete underneath, doesn't it? So it stays cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. It's on a slab, if that's what you're asking. Yeah, exactly. But it has finally gotten hot here, so I feel like you're probably not overreacting. Yeah, it's hot as balls here. Yeah, anyone not from here, uh, obviously we're on the island, Vancouver Island in BC, and last year at this time we were in a heat wave, and this year at this time we're like barely getting summer, so it's really just a roller coaster of emotions weather-wise. Yeah, I think that Simon mentioned that we're in, like, a cold snap, so to speak. Oh. El Nino. Is that, like, is that, like, the Ice Age, but just less extreme? I hope so. Yeah. Where's that little squirrel guy with the nut? <laughs> uh, but no, there's... Oh, God, someone's probably going to be like, you're an idiot. How did you not know this? And you're probably explaining it all wrong. But there's, like, El Nino, which is boy and that's a heat wave and then el nina is for a girl and it's a cold snap so it's like the polar opposites of the spectrum but that's apparently the whole concept around like heat and wave and cool snaps and apparently we're in el nina so for summer we're having a very cool summer so to speak because we're actually in a cold snap during the summer because the female is the ice queen that's what I said. I was like, is it not rude that women got like this ice queen, cold as ice? Nah. Daggers. And then I was like, you know what? I don't like the heat. And I don't think a lot of women do at the end of the day. So I think we'll keep the cool. I'll take it. Yeah, you can always put on a layer. But being too hot, I'm my worst self. Yeah, truth. She really is. I love being too hot. I can't relate, but that's okay. Um... <laughs> So last week we talked about maybe doing a fun fact every week. So do you have any fun facts? Oh, yes. Everyone, welcome back to our show, Podcast by Proxy. I always forget to like welcome introduce everyone back. Introduce who we are. Introduce we who we Patreon are. We have Patreon. Yeah. If you want more content, early release, ad free. I just Where can they find us of, on Instagram? Um, at Podcast by Proxy. And on Twitter. Uh, podcast by proxy everywhere that's there's no other i know i was handle. just trying to ask you so you'd have to say our name over and over no. again <laughs> no thank you um <laughs> no to that um i did just recently order a whole bunch of new sticker like designs and types so if you sign up for patreon i will send you some stickers uh patreon.com slash podcast by proxy and we i we will have an extra bonus episode coming out on there this month um it's not up yet but it will be coming and do you have any fun facts this week? What stupid shit have I been doing? I'm still really into pouring resin. 
Okay, and well, the deer are still really into eating my garden, so it doesn't sound like much has changed since last week. No, I don't really think so. Oh, yeah. no, 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 no. I do have something, actually. Oh, okay. I got a bike. <gasps> you did get a it's bike. It's so cute. It is I really love cute. it so much. It has a basket. It has a basket, and I bought it one of those, like, bring, bring bells today. Of course you did. Because, like, God forbid, what if a car cuts me off? They I'm a horn honker, to... so I need something. I was going to say, you won't, they won't be able to hear your your ring on your bike, but bring, I appreciate bring. that you need just you just need the peace of mind that you, it's there. Don't we all? No. I'm not a horn user. I don't That's use my true. horn. That's true. You cuss in the car and just keep it. It gives me a lot of like social anxiety to use the car horn. I, I actually prefer not to use it, and it gives me a lot of anxiety when other people use it, too. I don't like to pretend like anyone can see me when I'm driving. I don't like to make eye contact with people. I mean, clearly, I've seen how you dance in the car. I don't want them to, like, look at me and, like, using your horn, even if it's warranted, is, like, asking for attention and for people to look at you and be like, what? So that's just not an option for me. I don't use it. Unless it's, like, a dire need situation I'm going to, like, get hit if I don't, and that doesn't happen very often, I won't use it. Hmm. I'm defensive, so I... Like, don't follow people closely. I'm, like, always very aware of what they're doing so that I don't have to use the horn. But I'm just not a, not that gal. And this is where we differ. Yeah. Well, we've both been in a car with each other. It happens, you know. Fuck it. You know what you're doing when you let your friend drive. You know what to expect. Just get over it. Yeah, that's Um, not to say that I'm, like, a cautious... Uh, but it'll be interesting to see how good I am on a bike. I haven't ridden a bike since I was like a wee child. Yeah. And, uh, are you guys like planning on going on any adventures or you just want to ride around? I don't know yet. You don't know yet though. I mean, the world's your oyster. I you know. know. You have a bike, so. I know with a basket so I can go to the store and go to the market. You can, you can pick up things. Oh. oh, I'm just so envious. One other thing is look at this thing I found for us on Amazon. Super cheap. Oh, God. They're little avocados oh, that magnet together. Katie and I have matching avocado tattoos, if you didn't already know that. I think we've said that on the show before, but looks like she's gotten us a little, like, BFF necklace that's, like, the one side of the heart and the other side of the heart, except for it's two sides of an avocado. In the shape of a heart, that's the cutest thing ever. So, did you get that on Prime Day? I don't want to talk about it. Kate. Did you get I something didn't... on Prime Day? No, I didn't realize Prime Day was, like, such a thing. I got it's so like many... It's like Black Friday. <laughs> it, right. I got so many Snapchats and text messages of people being like, this is what I'm buying on Prime Day. And, like, I had no idea that it was oh, Prime yeah. Day. I just, I'm going to buy shit on Amazon whether it's on sale or not. So that's, you know, well, why it just not is save what it a few is. Bucks? Um, why do you, like, throw flushing money down the toilet? I didn't realize that Amazon Prime Day was, like, Black Friday. Prime Day. Yeah. Prime day, prime day, prime day. <laughs> well, since there's nothing interesting going on in our lives as per usual, um, Let's roll. we've gotten through the basics and we can, I think, just jump into the case that I'm going to tell you today. Yeah, it yeah. is my week. I will be telling the story. And I actually am covering a case that I had researched for June for, I wanted to cover a pride case in June because it's pride month. And then a few things happened and the Chelsea Poorman discovery and then that case ended up kind of like taking over. So I'm going to cover it now. So I'm telling you the story of Byron Carr today. 
This place takes uh, this place. This case takes place on Prince Edward Island, so that's an an Atlantic province in Canada. And this is P. So we're gonna refer to it as PEI going forward for the rest of the episode because I'm not gonna say Prince Edward Island like 400 times. So it's PEI. The France. If you're Canadian, you know, you know, you know. Um. This is PEI's only unsolved murder. Oh, shit. Yes. The only one to date in, like, modern times kind of thing. That must be annoying. Since there was society (laughs) and civilization. Right? Since there was, like, record keeping. Exactly, yes. Since there was, like, yeah. yeah. I was like, whoa, since civilization, did they find it, like, carved in rocks before this? No, no, no. Just, like, modern times. Like, since there's record keeping and a society and things like that. Since the bullshit that we're living in now. Yes. So on the morning of Saturday, November 12th, 1988, 36-year-old Byron Carr was found dead by his family in the bedroom of his home at 24 Lapthorne Avenue in Charlottetown, PEI. Byron's family had gone looking for him as they were worried when he didn't show up for a family function. They had decided to first just pop by his house, and when they arrived... They found Byron strangled and stabbed to death laying on his bedroom floor. Super Mm. gruesome. Upon further inspection, or I guess investigation, the police actually also found the words, I will kill again, written on the wall in pen. And they found that Byron's wallet had been stolen. And, like, it kind of looked like the house was ransacked. Okay. And the door was like a. It just seems weird because it. it seems like almost like a hate crime and a robbery. It's like which one is it? What were you really there for? Right. And I mean, I'm only saying hate crime because I know this is a person of a certain demographic or that, you know, has a status of themselves in a certain way that might not be comfortable for everybody. And but that still gives you no right to hurt anyone. And, like, understatement of the year in 1988, the gay community yeah. was... We'll, we'll discuss that in a little bit. I'm but sure they we will. were not welcome uh, in Canada, to put it nicely. And, yeah, there was a complicated relationship there. So we, we will get into that. Um, we'll talk about Byron a little bit. Byron Carr was a 36-year-old high school teacher in Charlottetown on PEI. Um, PEI is considered Canada's smallest province by both population and landmass. It's tiny. It's wee. However, it is one of the most densely populated provinces. So it's tiny, but there's a lot of people on it for the size. Do you know what the comparison is like to Vancouver Island? PEI? Yeah, I'm just out of curiosity. I guess we will find out. Hmm, who could we ask? PEI is 0.18 times as big as Vancouver Island. <laughs> so the island that we live on in the province of BC is essentially five and a half times larger than the entire province of PEI. Holy shit, I could ride my bike on, around PEI, no prob. You definitely could. It's tiny. Uh Wow. PEI had a it had a significant population growth in since like 2016, so they're currently sitting at about 165,000 people total, whole province. Whoa, that is a lot for how small that island is. Yes, and we in actually 19- have an educated opinion on this. <laughs> <laughs> 
1988, when Byron was murdered, the entire province of PEI more than likely had closer to like 130,000 people. The oldest, the oldest census I could find was like 2001, and they had at that time just over 135,000. Okay. Charlottetown, where Byron is from, is the province's capital, and I guess it's it is by far the smallest, largest <laughs> capital city uh, in the in the country. Do you say the uh, smallest, largest capital city? No, sorry. It's the <laughs> smallest provincial capital in the country. There we go. But it's the largest city on PEI, and it has a population of about 40,000. So it is the smallest, largest capital city of PEI, if it we is. want to. Sure, why not? If you want to lump it into one sentence, it is. A fun fact about PEI is that it produces 25% of Canada's potato supply. <gasps> And we love potatoes, so okay, I felt that sorry. was really important to share. Can I just, like, sidebar for a quick second? Of course. I know you asked me what was new, but I have been eating potatoes from my garden the last three nights with dinner, <gasps> and they amazing. are bomb.com. I highly recommend. They're really easy. If anybody out there loves potatoes, grow your own. They're so good and so simple. Katie's going to teach you how at Plants by Proxy on Instagram. Oh, fuck. I knew she was going to rope me into that. Okay. Can you send me the login information then? Yeah, I already did, but I'll resend it to you. Oh, well, I'm an asshole, so I thought you didn't. No, I did. Oh. I sent it to you when I was with you, though, so Help you probably just disregarded. <laughs> okay. I probably so, did. So, yeah, as uh, as <laughs> I mentioned at the top of the episode, Byron's murder is still unsolved to this day, and it remains PEI's only unsolved murder of, like, the modern era, oh, if you will. God. Yeah, that's frustrating. Yeah. Byron was known as a caring school teacher, a gracious dinner party host, and a rock and roll lover. His Aww. former friend Andrew described him as an introvert, but one that loved to host dinner parties and be with the people that he loved. I he, love that. He honestly sounded like the nicest guy. Um, there was some. There's also obviously. <laughs> yeah there's like a subreddit for this case as there is for everything in the world and there's a few people that um were either former students of byron's or just knew him and had like really nice testimonials Aww. yeah i can't a testimonial kills me <laughs> <laughs> so his friend andrew had met byron when they were just teenagers working at the old co-op grocery store in charlottetown However, they later attended university together and they both became teachers. Over the years, Andrew and Byron drifted apart. And one of the reasons Andrew said that they did start drifting apart is because Byron was becoming more involved in the developing gay community in Charlottetown. Okay. And Andrew's also gay, but he preferred to keep it a secret at the time. A little bit quieter. Yeah. And like... He basically said in 1988, or like at at this time, if you were gay, you either That's a stayed. a tough time. You either stayed in the closet or you left PEI. He said there wasn't really a middle ground, and so um, he was openly gay, and stayed, which is not the norm by the sounds of it. Yeah, exactly. He was starting okay. to become more open with that community, not really with his. Which I love that attitude. Like fuck it, this is who I am. He still, from what I could find, wasn't open with, like, friends and family and, like, regular... But he was open enough with the the developing community that he was, like, participating in it and not 
just like pretending it wasn't a thing, if that makes okay. sense. And yeah, to each their own, it's what you're comfortable with. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the gay community was beginning to develop around this time in PEI, but it was still considered like super close and tight-lipped and basically like underground. Like if it did exist, it was underground. It wasn't out in the open. Okay. Um, like I said, Fair. Byron. Sounds like everywhere else in the 80s, really. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, it um, sounds like what we're used to hearing, unfortunately. Yeah, I listened to the Dark Poutine episode on this case, and they actually talked a lot about like how LGBTQ people were treated in general in the 80s. Um, and the new co-host of that show, Matthew, he's actually part of the LGBTQ community and he was like speaking of his own experience and kind of knowledge of this time period in Canada, um, talking about just like police bathhouse, bathhouse raids in 1981, um, and sort of the relationship that the gay community had with the police in Canada in the eighties. Um, and it wasn't great. So it's room. We did the LGBT. Mm-hmm. sweep it was called last year yeah. in june so yeah i remember that was just the relationship was so unhealthy for so many years at that time I totally yeah agree. and like even when like basically being gay became legal like when i think it was like pierre trudeau said that canadian laws don't belong in the bedrooms of Canadians, I think, was the quote. Um, even after that, Preach. even after those like laws were changed, though, gay people were still getting arrested and treated horribly by a lot of police officers just for engaging in that kind of activity. Yeah. Yeah. So they had a really good discussion about that on Dark Poutine. Um, definitely check them out and take a listen to this episode when you're all done. Uh, But like I mentioned, Byron was actually technically outed due to his murder. Like, he wasn't openly gay at the time, and they only found out because of the murder. That's unfortunate, because he didn't get to have, like, his coming out story to his family the way he wanted. Yeah. That's really sad. Yeah. So it's just kind of good, I think I already said this, but it's good to keep all of this in mind as we move forward with the episode. Time and place. So after Byron was found, the police obviously were called and an autopsy was done, which revealed that he had likely died between 3.30 a.m. and 9 a.m. in the early hours of Friday, November 11th. So about 31 hours before he was found. Yeah. Police were able to piece together a timeline of Byron's last note events before he was found uh, later on the Saturday According to reports, um, so the timeline is Byron had some friends over on the night of Thursday, November 10th, 1988 for like a gathering before deciding to go out to the bars. Dinner party. He had a dinner party. Exactly. Love it. He had a dinner party. Host with the most. Yes. So this Thursday would have actually been the beginning of the long weekend because, of course, November 11th is a statutory holiday, Remembrance Day, or if you're in the States, it's Veterans Day. Lest we forget. But so this would have been like the start of a three-day weekend. So he was kind of like kicking off the long weekend. Yeah, I would too. That's a perfect time to have your friends over and you still have your full two-day weekend. It's beautiful. Yeah. So he had a few friends over. They had some coffee. These friends left at 11.45 p.m. And at midnight, Byron decided to go out with a different group of friends to go bar hopping. 
Okay. He ended up visiting three different bars downtown with this friend group until about 2 a.m. And that's when the group decided to call it a night. So two of his friends came back to his house with him. And then those friends left at 2.45 a.m. to, like, go home. Like, you know, you leave the bar, you go. You all you walk to the closest house. for, like, an hour. And then, yeah, they left. Yeah. You walk to the person who lives downtown, quote, unquote's house. Mm-hmm. And you all call cabs from there. Yeah. It's the, totally, we've all been there. Yeah. You know. So these friends leave at about 2.45 a.m. And Byron's not done for the night. He decides to do the same. Um, YOLO. So it was thought that he was potentially going to cruise Queen Square for a sexual partner because it was popular to do so in this spot at the time. Like it was kind of a known. So is that kind of like how we talked about in that Stanley Park case where there was a certain yes. segment where you would go and just like walk and you'd kind of know why everyone was there. Exactly. You were lingering. Okay. Yes. Lover's 100%. lane, so to speak. Yes. Okay. Yep. Um, so this is what he was thought to be doing between 2.45 a.m. and 3 a.m., he spotted another one of his friends walking home. So he was in his car. He picked him up and drove him home. Like, it was close by. So was he drinking can, and driving? I'm unsure, but it's the 80s, so I'm going to say probably yes. Well, I just say, like, do we know Do we know he was drinking with his friends prior to? Or we was he just he with his friends? Because he could have been hosting. That, right. We know he was with his friends. We know he was at the bars. And we know he was drinking coffee, so, like, it's a toss-up. It could have been one okay. or the other. And again, I'm not saying that anything should, shouldn't happen to someone who's drinking and driving. I'm just curious if that... I'm getting a time and place. Yeah. Accountability I is I wouldn't be super shocked in 1988, but... Me neither. Yeah. Anywho. Yeah, so he picks up this friend, drives him home, and continues driving around. At the time of the murder, this is basically all of the information that the police had to go on. It was like, that was the last time that they thought that he was seen, and then he was found And these are really random times to try to get other witnesses. Like, there's not many people out at 3 a.m. And people that are out, I would say a good 30 to 50% aren't going to remember their next day. (laughs) Or aren't going to want to talk to police in this case. That too, but I mean, that's a given, I think, anywhere we hear in the cases in the 80s. Mm -hmm. It has been speculated by the public that Byron's death was an accident as a result of misadventure, but the police have made it clear that forensic testing has revealed that his death was not an accident. So they're like, no, 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 not an accident. An accident by misadventure, so it's like a sex play gone wrong. It's like, this is a little excessive. Yeah. We're comfortably ruling that out. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Okay. Based on the scene of the crime, the police believed that Byron was involved in a consensual same-sex encounter and was killed after the fact. They believe it was consensual because there was no sign of forced entry into the home and there was underwear found at the scene that did not belong to Byron. So this underwear had... So, like, maybe he was strolling, found someone after he dropped his friend off, brought them back. Okay. hmm Yeah. Byron was found strangled with a towel on his bedroom floor, and there was a stab wound to his stomach that was deemed to have occurred after he died. Postmortem. Okay. The house had seemingly been ransacked as if someone was looking for something. And because his wallet had been stolen early on in the investigation, the police thought maybe the killer was like looking for more valuables. 
like a okay, robbery, yeah. like like a sex robbery gone wrong type deal. Yeah, I mean, maybe if you're like hooking up with someone, it goes wrong, you kill them, and then you're like, "Well, I'm here already." Yeah, I've I mean, heard that's the only way I can think of a sex robbery. Like I've heard like, crazier just... things. Oh, for we've, sure. We've talked about weirder shit. Sex on robbery, the show. it is. So yeah. When Byron was found, also his dog was in its kennel. Um, it looked like it was like a small dog because the kennel was very small, kind of like my dog's crate, like a little <laughs> like cat crate almost, like a like small dog pound. Um, this also made the police and his family think that he had willingly let someone into his house. I guess that was yeah. a common practice. Like if he's going to let a stranger over at whatever, then he would just like put the dog in the crate. Well, when you first start boning someone new, are you not worried about your three pound dog getting rolled on? I'm more worried that she's just going to bark, 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 and... Like, on the bed beside you. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so that just kind of sealed the deal for them that this was... Whoever was in his home with him, it was consensual. He had let him in. Yeah, I think you put away your pet to be able to sit and either have a conversation or enjoy casually or have intimacy, whatever it is, but that totally makes sense for the dog to have been locked away at the time. Good Food is Canada's number one meal kit service that delivers right to your door. Good Food makes cooking fun, easy, and affordable. They offer different meal plans to fit your needs like vegetarian, clean 15, easy prep, and the most popular basket, the classic basket. Every recipe is packed with fresh produce that comes directly from farmers and with good food. You can skip the trip to the grocery store and have everything you need to make your curated meals delivered straight to your door. Sign up for good food today using the code free podcast by proxy to get your first classic box for free. That's free podcast by proxy when creating your good food account to get a classic box on us. Hi friends, if you like what you hear and you want to get even more content from us, we're officially live on Patreon. Patreon is a subscription service where you can get early access to our regular episodes, get bonus episodes, live Q&A sessions, and more. Visit the link in this episode description to learn more and sign up. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at Podcast by Proxy. Katie and I are so appreciative of every single one of you for being here with us. If you want to support us even more, don't forget to hit the follow button wherever you're listening and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Growing the show means we will be able to invest more time into bringing you more stories like the one you're hearing today. Byron also had no signs of defensive wounds, so police thought maybe he was killed during a potential sexual encounter. Medicoitus? Yes, exactly. Okay. The police in this case had a lot of difficulty getting witnesses to come forward, like I said, due to the lack of trust between the police and the LGBTQ community. Um, Many people believed that the fact that Byron was thought to have been killed during a consensual homosexual encounter hindered the police taking the case as seriously as they might have otherwise. And the police, in turn, say that it was just difficult to get anybody to talk about this case as they felt the community didn't have the same level of sympathy for this case as they usually did others. Um, We've heard this before. People of a different sexual orientation or preference in life or race or religion. It's like, if you're different, that is scary to people for some reason. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Get I mean, over yourselves. we're in 2022, and that kind of stuff is still prevalent today. So considering it's, we're like light years ahead of where we were in 1988, I can only imagine how 
really nobody would have wanted to probably open their mouth and get involved in this. No, if people don't want to come forward today, you're right. What's the odds that someone would come forward in the 80s to assist? I agree. And so Byron's friends, like, they don't necessarily think he was killed because he was gay, but they do think that this played it into, like, how the investigation went and maybe why the case is still unsolved. Like, they don't... Nobody really thinks this is a hate crime. It's just that significantly hindered the investigation. It's less important than the other cases, and they keep coming in, so... Yeah. Well, and just harder, again, to get witnesses. Um, you know, if the police are tiptoeing around stuff and don't want to ask But I wonder, though, within questions. that, you know, first 48 hours from yeah. the time the crime scene started, if they didn't take it as seriously in the immediate moments, there probably was a lot of lost opportunity for those witnesses or whatnot to come forward. Yeah. But unfortunately, we... And, we all watch the first 48 if we're here. We understand that after the first 48 hours, your odds of catching or getting a lead cut in half. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as I mentioned earlier, DNA was taken from the underwear that was found in Byron's bedroom, like at the scene. However, DNA was pretty new in 1988, and so the DNA wasn't super helpful in the in- initial investigation. But did they, they were... store it properly? They stored it. I don't know about properly. It deteriorated enough that they're unable to do any kind of genetic genealogy testing on it now. Um, It's still usable enough that they can, like, say yes or no. But we can't make a DNA profile from it, so to speak. Well, they did make a profile. Okay. So they pulled male and female DNA off of the pair of underwear, and this actually made... Investigators believe that the killer was potentially bisexual. Oh, Because they found DNA from both genders on this one pair of underwear. So then as the years passed and technology began to advance, um, you know, of course, new avenues opened up with respect to DNA. And in 2001, a full DNA profile thought to belong to Byron's Byron Carr's killer was collected from the underwear and added to the National Crime Scene Index. There haven't been any hits. Um, The police have also tested the DNA against databanks in, like, the U.S. and the U.K. as well. But no hits. And, yeah, all I really can gather from all the reports and everything is that the DNA was good enough to get a profile. It's good enough to say, like, to compare it to something and say, yes, it's this person or no, it's Mm -hmm. not this person. But it's not complete enough or, like, it's too deteriorated to create a... a, uh, Well, we learned with the DNA lab segment that we went to with DNA Doe, to make a genealogical match, the sample has to be such good quality Yeah, essentially they just didn't have enough for that. They don't have enough to get enough markers to make a genetic genealogy profile where they could work backwards and try and, like, link it to the killer's family member or something or, like, find those those markers. But they have enough that if they tested it against the person who matched, they'd know. Okay. Yeah. That's something. Yeah. 
So despite the volume of potential suspects that were listed from the get-go, this case was ultimately closed in 1992 and sat cold until September of 2007 when it was formally reopened uh, with the investigation being spearheaded by Sergeant Brad McConnell. So okay. it was closed and it just went dormant, essentially, from yeah, just sat there 1992 to 2007. Jeez. Okay. Just nothing. 15 years. Yes. So, since reopening this investigation, Brad McConnell has done great things. He has become chief of police in Charlottetown. Yeah, it's a Brad. I didn't expect anything else. Exactly. We all love a Brad here on this show. All love a Brad. We've never met a Brad we didn't like. Nope. But Brad McConnell has done incredible work on this case. So when he initially reopened the investigation, he immediately put out a public statement requesting that anyone with information on the case come forward and was hopeful that enough time had passed that members of the gay community would be more forthcoming with approaching the police with information. Like, they were just hopeful that, well, maybe somebody's out now. And they're more comfortable giving information. They or don't that feel too, that yep. threat or something too, right? So it could open a ton of possibilities. Yeah. Doing a public outcry for help. Yeah. So a few witnesses did come forward between 2007 and 2009 with more information. Ooh. One witness reported that a couple months after Byron was murdered, he too was involved with a sexual partner that matched the description of Byron's killer and it turned violent. This witness stated that he had met a young man downtown who he took home and after their consensual sexual exchange, this man became violent with him in his Charlottetown home, um, stole his wallet at knife point and said he had done this before. So like maybe this time he like he fought back to the assailant and that's why he was murdered um i don't know no this was a couple months after no sorry i mean your victim i'm just saying like i think that i'm wondering if maybe like he fought back finally because if he'd done that before maybe he had had these kind of interactions and robbing people this way was super easy yeah he didn't have any defensive wounds they thought it was more like a sneak attack or he didn't see it they thought it was like a mid coitus yeah i'm not sure who knows like Huh. I can't put my mindset there, but I think that the the conditions might have had to be like very specific, or maybe there was just like one thing that this person did that made it so that yeah, there's this... got to be something withheld that the police are like, we know that they both did this weird thing, or maybe it's a completely different person. We don't know. Totally. I mean, the idea of someone hooking up with you drunk and then robbing you isn't shocking either. No, I can't say that's ever happened to me, but. So this victim underwent a hypnosis to help a sketch artist come up with a composite sketch and was also shown a photo lineup of like, you know, potential suspects, but he was ultimately unable to identify his attacker. The composite sketch was released and the potential uh, suspect was described as a white male, 19 years old, thin to average build with auburn brown hair. The sketch was drawn as how the suspect would have looked in 1988, sorry, at the time of the incident. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's helpful because it would be whoever was there then might recognize that, but it just made me think that there's going to be someone who's going to potentially see their photo on the news and be like, that's what they thought I looked like as well. Like, it's just, it's going to be such an odd, I don't know, 
or being like, oh, that looks like so-and-so. It could look like so many people. Yeah. The police got another clue to add to their timeline events as well in 2008. So a witness came forward stating that they believed they saw Byron the night of his murder. This added just a layer in the timeline, so just kind of one extra thing we didn't know before in the timeline of the night that Byron was murdered. This witness states that they saw Byron in his 1987 white Ford Tempo stopping to talk to a man on a bicycle just after 3 a.m. on the corner of Prince Street and Richmond Street. Um, I looked it up on Google Maps. This would have only been about a five-minute drive to his home, so pretty close, like... Five to six Everything blocks. is a five minute drive on this island. Exactly. Yeah. It's the literally like the size of a stamp. Yes. <laughs> I love it. According to this witness, after Byron talked to this man on a bicycle um, for a short while, the cyclist appeared to follow Byron's car in the direction of his house. Oh, so maybe he did invite him back to the house. Like, oh, you just here for a good time? Follow me. Which, good on ya. Yeah, so this witness knew Byron, and the police were a bit weary about the story, so he took a polygraph to verify these accounts of the night, and they this witness passed. So oh, this led nice. the police to believe that this cyclist went back to Byron's house and was the person who eventually strangled him with a towel after the two had consensual sex. It makes sense how someone could also leave their house at, like, 4 or 5 in the morning, potentially, quietly. Yeah. And not alert a neighborhood by just cycling away. Exactly. Yeah, that makes sense. A more detailed profile. So they put, like, a profile together from this person's account, and it kind of matched what they already had. Like, the um, this witness stated that, like, he would have been anywhere from, like, 15 to 25 kind of thing so that yeah falls, i was surprised how young they falls thought he was. in that age range um and then so the police also put out to the public that they suspected that the suspect um was living a high-risk lifestyle believed as i said that he was likely bisexual based on the dual dna found on the underwear and mm-hmm. that he probably lived in charlottetown with a previous low-level conviction or convictions now, do we know if they think the DNA on the clothing found was, like, trace? Like, they had hooked up with a girl and then come and hooked up with him? Or, like, they think there might have been three people there? They think that the male DNA would have been the killers and the female DNA would have been a sexual partner, which is why they... Like that he was with earlier that day, so to speak? Potentially. Or that might have been there at the same time. I don't... They've never said that. They've never said that they think a third person was there when the crime was committed. They've only said that they think... Just because if you said it was like no defensive wounds, I wondered if maybe there was a third person there that would make sense if it was like... Yeah. I, I don't know. Just curious. Definitely a thought. I got questions. The police issued a statement to the public in November of 2009 when they made the decision to release the make, size, and photos of the underwear to see if anyone recognized it. So up until now, no photos of this 
these underpants had been released to the public. Um, they just Did had wear these underwear. Taken them, ago? kept them, kept the DNA, etc. Maybe it was holdback evidence. I don't know. Nickers? It makes sense. Okay. Only the killer would know that he forgot his underwear there. Or his mom would know that he wore them at least, maybe. Mm. <laughs> yeah. The underwear found at the scene was small-waisted Zeller's brand bikini-style briefs sold only in Canada. Uh, good old Zeller's. Zeller's. Gotta love it. I miss the Zeller's restaurant. And Kmart. Yes. Oh, yeah, the Zeller's restaurant. Yeah. It was bomb. Those matzo sticks. Woo. So good. Uh, the police displayed the underwear on a black mannequin just so you could like see what it looked like with a 29 and a half inch waist and it was a snug fit. Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. Uh, uh, that's, that's sounding more and more like a 15 year old boy, like someone <laughs> underdeveloped or like very, very t- tiny. I'm sorry if you have a 29 waist or smaller. And if it's, like, you just don't naturally gain weight, that's one thing. But, which, the idea of being, like, and the underwear were tight on a 29-inch waist, it's like, oh my goodness. If you have a 29-inch waist, please teach me your skills. Thank you. 29 and a half inches isn't that small of a waist. Like, it's not like a child, but it's definitely not like a fully developed I mean, I know what size my waist is now. <laughs> oh, I do. But I'm a no, so I'm saying, like, I know what size mine is now. I so, was going like, to say, I take pretty regular measurements. 29's pretty small. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying it's not like a toddler. It's just like, yeah, more than likely if it's like a, it's not a grown man. It's but it could be someone, yeah, it's like, like younger and, and still And like a growing. slimmer build, I think, is yeah. more what they were getting at, Or too. like, if it is someone that's like 15 or 16, they're just, yeah, they're growing. Mm-hmm. They haven't filled out. Yeah. At the time of the crime, the gay community thought that the writing I will kill again on the wall was a warning sign. However, the police now believe that this was actually an expression of frustration in not being able to find his underwear. And I'm going to get into that a little bit okay. in a bit. Um, let's, yeah, let's please get back to this at some yeah. point. because A photo of the writing was also released at the same time uh, as the photo of the underwear, and it has distinctive, like, rounded letters and circles to dot the eyes. So that was, you know, like, important. Do you know this handwriting? Totally. After speaking with more than one witness, so now two more witnesses are coming forward um, and saying that Byron's killer... So many years later. Impressive. I I know. Byron's killer had an accomplice that he brought back with him the next day to look for the underwear and help clean up, which is why the house was ransacked. Okay, maybe he came back to clean up and found his underwear in the process. I don't think he was like, those are my favorite underwear. No, he didn't find his underwear because the police found the underwear. So he was looking for it because it's evidence. Yeah, but I don't think he was like, oh, I'm so mad I can't find my underwear. I'm going to kill again. I don't know. They think like, it's like, I have like a hard an... time finding hair elastics, but I wouldn't go that far. Yeah, but you didn't commit a murder where you lost your hair elastic. If this person's actually trying to clean up evidence they and they know their underwear is there. That's also why I can never commit a crime. I leave hair everywhere. True. 
So these witnesses, there's two separate witnesses that came forward. They don't appear to be connected to each other at all. And they came forward in like 2008 and 2012 completely separately. They both knew details that only somebody who had like heard the details from someone connected to the crime would have known. Like firsthand. Okay. Yes. So the police know who this accomplice is or was, but have not released his name, though I think you can probably find it online. I don't know. I didn't go that far just because it's not public knowledge. I was like, I'm not going to sleuth for that. No, Um, and unless we know someone's done something, we're not going to out someone either if it's not public already. Yeah, the police have basically said if... So this accomplice died in 1993 and... They came out in 2013 after the second witness and said if this accomplice was alive today, they have enough evidence and would make an arrest. Oh. Okay, well, never mind then. I take back what I said. Yeah. That's pretty public. (laughs) (laughs) At the time of the crime, this accomplice would have been 27 years old, a recent parolee with a violent past, and he actually was on the short list of suspects that the police had originally developed in 1988. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So did they look at people close to this person and have any other shortlist once they had more information about this person? I know that they were looking into people connected to this person to try and narrow Piece down their list, kinda. but there's yeah. no names or anything Ugh. that after That's like true. that has come out about that. That's frustrating. Yeah. Based on these reports, though, from witnesses and neighbors, the police now believe that the killer returned with this accomplice on the evening of November 11th and then again that night after midnight to attempt to clean up and find the missing underwear. During the last visit, so the one that occurred after midnight, it's believed that it was at this time that one of the men, we're not sure which one, stabbed Byron in the stomach with a long-handled kitchen knife, and that's when the words, I I will kill again, were written on the wall. Again, we don't know if those words were written by Byron's killer or by the accomplice. And that's why they think they listed it as like a juvenile act of frustration. In not being able to find the underwear. So they don't think that it was connected to like any kind of... I feel like it sounds more like someone who killed someone once and wants to make it sound like a serial killer to throw someone off the trail. Yeah, maybe. To me. That kind of sounds like a theory that I could get on board with. I don't don't think someone's going to do that over their underwear. Yeah. No matter how upset you are. Especially when DNA was so new at the time. Like, why would people be freaking out if you could barely, like, use a DNA profile? Well, and I just think that that would be, like, an older, maybe a little bit more methodical criminal that would even think of DNA. It wouldn't be someone young. And if we're going on the theory that this is a young juvenile act, I don't think that someone young would even do that, personally. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Well, after all this was done, uh, the two then left out the back door to the kitchen, which they left slightly ajar, which is how it was found when Byron was found, and of course left the dog in its kennel. Um, I'm very, very thankful that they left the dog alone. I really didn't want to have to talk about animal cruelty today, so I just am so thankful that these two idiots left the precious floof alone. Oh, floof. 
Neighbors reported seeing two men behaving suspiciously outside Byron's house at around 8.45 p.m. on November 11th, and then later that evening at around midnight to 2.30 a.m. on November 12th. Um, so where's your phone call to police for the suspicious activity, people? Yeah, we don't know. Oh, my God. The later that evening at around midnight to 2.30 a.m. on the 12th, they heard Byron's dog barking, which was unusual. So that was just like a report that was given after the fact as well. And then there was also a report after the fact of a vehicle leaving the area at high speeds. And so the police believed that these two reports, like the 8.45 p.m. and the midnight reports, are when the killer and the the accomplice returned to clean up and find the evidence. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. That's ballsy going back to a crime scene. A little bit, yeah. In a car, too, especially when you were there originally on a bike. Yeah. Stick to the bike, buddy. Yeah. Don't get anyone else involved. Police do have physical evidence from the scene that has DNA on it, but none of it matches the DNA profile of the accomplice and like we mentioned already many of the samples have deteriorated over the years a pair of socks was found in the kitchen garbage and a dna profile was collected from them but it didn't match byron didn't match the killer or like the same dna from the underpants and it Mm -hmm. didn't match the accomplice's dna either so now police believe the socks might have belonged to a third party and then were worn by one of the two men to avoid leaving cl- fingerprints during the crime scene cleanup. But then I'm like, wouldn't their DNA be inside the socks? Or are we thinking these people actually put gloves on and then socks on top? Because that seems a little bit yeah, extreme to me. Yeah, that one doesn't really make sense to me. I was hoping that you were going to say they would have found like two people's DNA in the sense that like, you know, maybe Byron borrowed those socks from a friend or something at their house. Like, you know how sometimes you're like, oh my god, my feet are cold. Can I borrow some socks? Like, Well, and like, they were in the garbage, so I don't know. Maybe it was super obvious that they had, like, just been tossed out when there was a cleanup taking maybe place. But like, just, like, outside his apartment door one day and he picked them up and put them in the garbage just to be a good Samaritan. Like, we right. have no fucking clue. Yeah, I was gonna say, I feel like socks end up in the garbage all the time, so I don't know, putting gloves on and then socks on top to clean up just <laughs> seemed a little bit extreme to me, but I don't know. What, what do scene. I know? Yeah, exactly. Like, what? <laughs> oh. <laughs> I don't know. I, mean, I agree. I'm it's impressed too with weird. somebody wears gloves, let alone then putting a pair of socks that are somebody else's on top. Like, I don't know. That one just... I don't know. So, a couple more just things with respect to this case before we finish up. Because, again, this is an unsolved case. We don't know. There is no... Welcome to my life. There is no solution at the end of this uh, math problem. In September of 2009, the police reached out to the public to ask for their assistance in locating a man named George Smith. Uh, So they believe that George's car was stolen just hours after Byron was murdered in 1988. George allegedly lived at an apartment at 154 Richmond Street and had reported his vehicle stolen on the evening of November 11th, 1988, which we know is the same night that Byron was said to be killed. I don't know what time, but the police state, like, there isn't actually any indication that these incidents are connected, but because of the close proximity and time and locations, they just wanted to speak to George and, like, explore the possibility. 
But if there was two of them, it's not out of the realm of possibility that one of them dropped the other one off and they stole a car to get away that night. It's just not impossible. So right. I totally get why they could want to loop him in and get him involved. They never found George. So George! That lead was kind of a dead end. George. By 2013, more than 400 people had been interviewed with respect to the murder of Byron Carr. It's a lot of people. Yeah. Despite all of these leads and new tips the island. and people, nothing new was discovered that would help them identify the man who killed Byron. Jeez. Okay. In July of 2018, so this is just like within the last five years, the police received a call from a man stating he was calling about the $2,000 reward being offered in Byron's case um, for information. And okay. But they sense like an urgency in his voice that he did have information. I, I guess it just seemed like more than just a prank call wanting money. I don't know. They just they hung on to these calls. So the okay. same man called sure. twice. Once on July 26th and once on July 27th from a phone booth at the Charlottetown Mall, but each time he hung up before providing his name or information. Like he got spooked or something almost? Yeah. Huh. So because the police felt that this man did have actual information to give them or felt like he wanted to speak, they put out an appeal in October of 2018 for this man to call back and give them any information he might have, but to date, he also has never contacted them back. Hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, essentially, that's it. Like, police have said that every police technique that they can think of has been utilized in this case. They have consulted experts around the world. They have consulted behavioral analysts. They have cross-referenced DNA in other countries' databases. Um, you know, Brad McConnell... Chief Brad McConnell now has really dedicated a significant amount of time and resources in getting justice for Byron. In 2013, Byron's brother John was quoted to CBC News stating, uh, we don't expect justice at this time, we just want closure. It's um, not a lot to ask. Byron would be in his 60s today. He might have, you know, gone on to have a partner and who knows family, what he would have done with his more life dogs. family who knows um the killer would likely be in his 50s or 60s today if still alive charlottetown police is still taking tips in the byron car case and still is really really wants to solve it um so if you do have any information at all even if it seems insignificant um you can contact one eight seven seven. 566-3952 or you can also contact PEI Crime Stoppers at 1-800-222-TIPS. Um, there is still a $2,000 reward for any information that leads to this case being solved or a suspect being identified. Um, and that's it. That's all we got. Well, let's get the word out. Let's do this. Yeah, so It's not is... unsolvable. PEI's only unsolved murder. I agree. There's so much in this case. I feel like it definitely and has to be And people could still solvable. be alive. So, like, there is still that realm of possibility. Yes. 100%. So let's get the word out. Okay. I thought that was great, though. I actually had never heard of this. And I'm even more shocked to find out that that's Prince Edward Island's only unsolved case. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. I feel like I mean, like, good from on a- them. Coming from a province with, like, 
a massive amount of missing people and I feel like unsolved like murders and missing disappearances. How do you do it? <laughs> How do you only have one? Like I'm I'm so proud of you and let's get Byron's case solved. Like proud of you <laughs> PEI. But wow, that's crazy. That is crazy. Yeah. But also like like I said, still I think solvable. It feels solvable. The fact that we have so much DNA and this isn't solved is shocking to me on its own. Yeah. There is so much, like, okay, we can't do genetic genealogy, but there's so much viable DNA. But you have DNA. You have DNA of like three. That's got to account for something. Yeah. Yeah. So it seems really solvable. I would love for his family to get the justice that they deserve for Byron. Um, according to kind of like his friends and some articles that I read, his family was like really strong and stuck together. And this like really brought them closer together, which was so nice to read because a lot of the times when we cover these kinds of cases, you hear that like it's the family, the it was just too hard on them. They couldn't survive. Parents it. get their parents divorced. divorced. And yeah. so it sounds like this incident actually really brought Byron's family closer together. Oh. And so that was really nice to I really nice that. to see. Um, if you liked what you heard today, please don't forget to give us a rating or review on your favorite podcast platform. Spotify and Apple ratings and reviews kind of go the farthest in terms of helping our show get more traction and get like pushed out to more viewers. Um, but Podbean reviews are amazing too and really like wherever works for you. Um, if you want to hear more from us, patreon.com slash podcast by proxy, follow our social medias at podcast by proxy, and I'm going to bed. I'm going for a bike ride. <laughs> Two completely different vibes tonight. But I'm so excited. I'm so excited for you. All right. Talk to Bye. you later. Smell you later. I'll call you soon. Okay. Okay. Bye. Bye. How do I stop this shit? I'll stop it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Fuck me. <laughs>